Welcome, you are listening to the Overseas Life Redesign Podcast, where you'll hear fun, relaxed, and inspirational interviews with people who are really living the dream. I'm Dawn Fleming, an attorney turned alchemist, and your host for the show, coming to you from the tropical island paradise of Isla Mujeres, Mexico. Listen to conversations with courageous souls who've stepped out of their comfort zone and designed a new way of life. They'll share their experiences, wisdom, and offer practical steps you can take to redesign your life overseas. Listen, and you'll believe if you can dream it, you can achieve it. I am here today with Becca Alvarez, and I am super excited about this interview because we have not chatted for a while, and I know you've had amazing things happen since we last spoke. Thank you so much for being with me today. I appreciate it. Sure. Happy to be here. So, Becca, I know you made a big decision, a bold move a few years ago in deciding to leave Texas. You are a single mom with three daughters, I believe, as as I recall. Yep. Three. And Mm -hmm. you decided to move to Mexico. You want to share with us why you decided to do that? It was actually 10 years ago. It was in 2010. And I was working for a company that was a global company and had a global account um, and they needed some help in Mexico. My now ex-husband is Mexican and we have two daughters together. And this was back when the girls were two and four. And I kind of volunteered to help on this account in a different region. And, and that required me traveling to Mexico City and Guanajuato once a month. And the girls were actually at that time one in three and uh, and I was like, yeah, that'd be great. So on my first trip to Mexico City, um, you know, their their paternal grandparents are in Pascuaro, Michoacan, which I had never heard of before. And so on my first business trip, I had to I took a little detour from Mexico City, and I went through Pascuaro for like an overnight, and and then went on to Guanajuato. Um, it's not really on the way, <laughs> but but it was close enough that you know it's you know, not too bad. So I got here in 2010 and um, I was just transported to this 16th century colonial town that I didn't know about Pueblo Magicos, Magicos that, that Mexico has. And, and I didn't really know what to expect. And I wanted to meet, you know, my ex-husband's parents and he's the second of 10. So the first five of he and his siblings were in the U.S. in Dallas, and his younger five siblings were here in Pascuaro. So I wanted to eat meet, and I knew his, you know, my brothers and sisters-in-law in the U.S., and I wanted to meet those here. And so I came to meet the family, and wow, I was so shocked. First of all, dropping into Pascuaro is like being dropped into some place in Europe, you just don't expect it. It's not like any of the border towns. It's not like any of the tourist towns. And it was just so beautiful and quaint. I wasn't expecting the 16th, 16th century architecture. But then when I got to the family's house, I was not expecting third world conditions. There were eight people living in two bedrooms that Daniel said he had, he had built for them in 2000, the last time he had been here. And there was no running water. There was no kitchen. Um, There was a a wood fire that water was heated upon and they, they cooked like truly third world. And I was just shocked. Yeah. Shocked. 
but they had hearts of gold and I just fell in love with the family. So every month I was traveling that started in January and every month I, I came down and I would swing by to see them and get to know them. I remember going to my first Mexican wedding, which was in a rancho, right? So a ranch wedding in Michoacan is something you've got to experience. <laughs> it was crazy. And actually somehow I was, um, I was the one who was supposed to do the te tequila dance, which I hadn't even seen before. So yeah, that, it was crazy. But I remember that May that I just had the thought when I left, I just said, you know, the girls were now two and four. And I just thought, why don't we just move down here for a year, put everything in storage. We were in Virginia at the time, put everything in storage for a year and move down here. I'll be so much closer, you know, to my clients. And it wasn't really a, a true um, expat move, like where the company pays for it. I just asked them for permission. I just said, hey, you guys good if I moved to Mexico for a year? And they loved it. They're like, oh yeah, especially because I was going to pay for it. But um, I just thought that my girls, you know, their grandparents, these were their only grandchildren from the U.S. They were going to have a chance to see because their, their children had gone to the U.S. illegally. So the grandchildren that were there were Americans, but they couldn't come back and forth alone without their parents, right? So and the girls were still so young. So I just thought, let's go do this. So we packed up and, and moved here for a year. It was so amazing. Um, and you were I didn't know any that, Spanish, right? You, you, our divorce was not final, but we oh. were definitely separated. Okay. Yeah. We had separated when I was three months pregnant with Claire, but we had a very cordial relationship. So getting the girls passports, Daniel was in another state in the U S. So there's just an affidavit that you have to, you need your ex or your separate, whoever their father has to sign an affidavit and you can go to um, the passport processing center with your children and that affidavit and you can get their passports. Okay. So, um, and I actually don't have a divorce document that uh, stipulates custody for the children um, because I was moving back and forth so often from different states, different countries that um, when we finally did get our divorce, it was kind of ridiculous, but the judge said he didn't feel like he had jurisdiction over the children because they weren't in Washington state. Well, the most important thing in a divorce is to stipulate who has custody of the children. Absolutely. So um, technically neither of us do. I mean, it's just, it's not in the divorce. It's, it's really crazy, but because we have such a great relationship and there's no acrimony or anything like that, there's never been an issue. And obviously I moved his children to his hometown. Right. Right. So he was real supportive of that. So, um, we came down here, um, in Mexico, it's children start kindergarten at four years old. There's actually three years of kindergarten in Mexico, three, four and five years old. Um, but they consider the segundo and tercero, the second and third year of kinder is, is mandatory. Right. So Anna started kindergarten here. And that was a really great experience. Um, you know, I remember I told you his family was very poor. So I came down here and I rented this amazing villa, right? With like five bedrooms. And I was just like, the whole family can live with us. It's going to be great. And his, you know, their grandmother can take care of them. And, you know, my costs were going to, you know, go way down. And I just had all these thoughts that of course they wouldn't want to live in poverty. Of course they would come want to just completely transform their lives. 
And wow, that was such a rude awakening because um, I, ne- I never really asked. I just said, yeah. I've got a new home for you. Yay, right? I think I just said, and you know, I, I didn't really know them well, right? And, and so I, when we just got here, I rented this big house and, and I just said, okay, you're gonna be taking care of the grandkids. Um, your, your two little granddaughters, of course you would want to do that, right? And of course you guys will all not want to eight people live in two bedrooms anymore. You all get your own bedroom now. And, you know, it, I just thought it was great. But wow, that did not go over well. They were very accustomed to what they had. And they were apparently very satisfied with what they had. They weren't comfortable sleeping in their own bed. They were used to sleeping with two or three siblings by them, even as, you know, like in high school, right? And they were used to not having a kitchen and not having running water. And they'd never had a shower before, right? They had bathed in a bucket, like pouring water on them. You know, it was, they couldn't sleep with the lights off. They had to have the lights on because they were afraid. That didn't last very long. I mean, I was so shocked. And then um, I thought their grandmother wasn't very old. She's actually only nine years older than me. And she was stolen when she was 14. They do that at the ranchos. Mm -hmm. A man steals a girl and then she's ruined and the family demands he marries her. She had three miscarriages and then had her started having her first children, 10 consecutive children um, by that she started at 17. So she was really young and kind of just kicked them out every other year. But um, I thought, Again, I thought she could take care of Cammy. Excuse me, not Cammy, Claire, who was two years old. And all she knew to do with her was just wrap her up in a roboso, like a, a shawl, and just carry her around. She had no concept of, you know, the type of care that we would want for a two-year-old, which is doing activities or doing this or playing and puzzles. And these children didn't grow up with toys, right? They don't have anything in the refrigerator. They walk down to the local little market and buy their food that they need per meal. Right. Right. The concept of, I mean, they do, you know, they're cooking and cleaning and washing and doing all this and and little children take care of themselves. They're there in the house playing in the dirt and playing with sticks and they just make sure that they don't die. Basically, you know, grandparents that are really taking care of, you know, a home, and just trying to survive really don't know how to take care of their grandchildren. They, they often are charged with doing it, but there's no real care, right? Which yeah. may be one of the reasons that they, they have kinder start at three years old. Sure. The kids Absolutely. Really that, Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that didn't work out. Um, her so taking care to stay at the house for a little while. And then it just, didn't yeah, happen. maybe, maybe a week. And okay. they were just like, yeah, we're going to go home <laughs> or, or we're just not, or it was, there was no big fight. There was no big, no, you know, just, nothing. It was just like, oh, thanks for letting us visit, you know? <laughs> and I think I, I had one sister-in-law that actually did stay with, with, her, um, with, with her one daughter, who was three. So she was right around the same age as my girls. So um, she did stay. And it was funny, I remember, because I didn't speak any Spanish. She spoke no English. And we would sit down on her bed at night, and we would just have these long conversations. And somehow we understood each other. I can't explain it. 
because I knew nothing and she knew nothing, but yet we were communicating. And um, I, I still look back at that and just think how crazy that was. <laughs> after they didn't want to stay, I said, okay, well, I don't need this giant place. So after a month, we left the house that supposedly Pancho Villa stayed in. Wow. And, and we moved about um, 15 minutes outside of town to a gated community um, where there was a mix of like gringos and Mexicans. And it was very, very beautiful, but it was like a three bedroom home. Perfect for us, right? Me, the girls shared and we had a guest room and I worked from home. So I couldn't really work there. There wasn't good internet service. So I had it. I did found, find a next Mexican nanny who took care of Claire and then cleaned the house and, and took care of everything. I took Anna to school and then I went to a local restaurant and I used their internet and I worked from there until Anna got done with school at two and I went to pick her up and then we went back to the house. That was kind of our schedule all school year. Yeah. So that's what I did our first year. After our first year, um, my company, you know, I was like, this was just a one-year type thing. Um, my company kind of outsourced things to India. And so they're like, well, if you want to stay with us, you need to go back. Instead of going back to Richmond, Virginia, we want you to go to Baltimore, Maryland. I didn't really want to do that. So I found another job and we went to Nashville. Now, this is important, the, the little story that I'm going to talk about here. Because I didn't investigate anything um, really about crossing the border, um, the, the laws of Mexico, what's required. And I do want to say that when we first moved with the girls, I chose not to drive. I chose to leave my SUV in Dallas. So we drove from Richmond to Dallas. I left my SUV with my dad and we flew here. Okay. And I just said, you know, it's so cheap. I can just hire a driver, right, to take us to town and what we need to do. They have local transportation. And once I figure out if it's safe to drive down to Michoacan and the routes and I'll meet people and I'll figure it out. So we'll go home for Christmas and, and then I'll bring back my SUV, which is what I did. Okay. So that first year we're here and I got a six. So you get, when you come into the country as an American, you get um, a six month permission for your car and, and, at, and they are very strict about it. Um, after six months and you have to give a deposit. So it's based on the year of your car, the newness of your car, you have to give a deposit. So my car um, was probably 10 years old and I left, let's say $400. Now as an American, the way we think is when something expires, it's like over and done with, it's useless, it's just done, right? So when we left the country, I knew I forfeited my $400. I wasn't going to get it. So I didn't stop. And we just went through the border crossing and we showed our U.S. passports and we entered the U.S. without any issue and drove up to Dallas, drove up to um, Nashville where we were going to be living. But yet I had to go get everything out of storage in Richmond and bring it back. And right between there, I kind of had a, my 40-year midlife crisis, and I had this old kind of, like I said, 10-year SUV that the cobblestones roads here pretty much tore up, and I'm like, all right, trading this thing in, and I got a brand new BMW X5. Okay, so I traded it in, and this was like within a day or two after we crossed the border, right? So fast forward to 
a year later, and it's now June of 2012, and the economy in the U.S. was really bad. I lost two jobs in four and a half months. Never happened to me before. And I truly was like, you know, I had this huge car payment. I just got into a brand new home. I was used to like most Americans leaving paycheck to paycheck. And I had some savings and that helped me when I got laid off the first time. But then to get laid off again, well, that was the ending of a contract, really. The next job was a full-time employment position, position that I did not expect to lose. And um, and after three months, I did. You know, they had a big layoff, bad Q2 in Europe. And, and so all the directors and vice, vice presidents got laid off. And here I am. And so I'm like, Tennessee unemployment's $300 a week, right. not to trip to Costco. Like right. I'm going to, I'm truly going to be on the street. And normally I'm very marketable and I have a job within a month, but I, I didn't even have an interview within a month. And so it just popped into my head. Where can I live on $300 a week? And here in Potsquato, people live on $65 a week. And so I said, okay, we are going back to Potsquato. So I kept looking for a job the month of July in 2012. But at the same time, I was planning an international move. So I sold and donated and gave everything we had away. I only took what we could put inside the SUV and what, you know, duffel bags on top of it. And that was it. Right. Um, and I just, within three weeks, shut down my life in the U.S. completely and go back. So we get to the border and um, I'm ready and, and we're getting our permissions and I'm getting my permission for my new SUV. And I'm asked, where's the Ford Explorer? And I'm like, uh that was, I, I, I sold that, you know, I got a new car and I sold that. And, and like a year ago, well, you still have that permission on your passport and only one car at a time can be allowed in on an American passport. And I said, but that permission expired, you know, expired, you know, within six months and, and it's, it's no good. Why is it still attached to my passport? And she said, you have to stop at the border before you leave. Even if it's expired, they need to remove the sticker from your windshield and they have to process some paperwork that actually removes it from your passport. Oh dear. You cannot enter the country with this car. <gasps> okay. Well, she says, where's the paperwork for the other permission. I'm like in the glove box of the car that I traded in. I didn't even think about it. She said, this is going to take you six months to deal with. Oh no. Um, the aduanas in Mexico city. Oh, and I was like, okay, I have a three and five year old little girl in the car and everything we own. I have very limited funds. We've got a house and school waiting for us in Pazcuaro. I don't have six months to try to deal with this. So I know I sound very calm then, but I was truly panicking saying, there's got to be a way around this. Right. She's like, I'm sorry. There's not, I cannot. She, she said, well, do you have a blood family member, a brother, sister, or father or child that is willing to come here to the border with their passport and enter your car on it? 
Well, my brother didn't have a passport. My dad's was expired. And my sister said, hell no, I am not going to the Mexican border to help you. Now, what? Seven, eight years later, she now lives in Puerto Vallarta and loves it, oh. right? But at this time, she was scared to death to come to, to Mexico. Oh my She's God. like, no way am I coming to help you. And my children, my blood children, are three and five years old. So they certainly can't drive my car into the country for me. So I was like, oh, my gosh. So I went to the back to the U.S. side. And I went in to talk to them and they're like, there's nothing we can do to help you. This is Mexican aduanas. For three days, I was staying at like a hotel in Eagle Pass, Texas, um, going back and forth between the Mexican office, the U.S. office, trying to figure out who the heck could help me. No one could help me. And finally, when I was at the border on the Mexican side, I see a group of federales talking. And I went up to them and I told them my problem. And one of them said, do you have a passport card? Because passport cards are used for land crossings only and by boat. It's what all the truckers use who go back and forth. They don't need the passport book. It's a passport card. Right, right. Yeah. I bet if you get one of those, it's going to be issued with a different number and you can enter on this card, (gasps) uh, this car on this card. And I said, oh, bless you. You have a crown in heaven. So we went to Houston to the major passport processing center. And of course, when I tell them the story, they'd never heard of that, but they processed it in a day for me. Um, And I came back, entered on that and got the car in. Oh, but before that, one other little story. I, this was a brand new lease. I had leased my BMW. Now I don't recommend this, but you have to show when you're bringing your car in, you have to show your license, your registration, and the title of your vehicle. And if you have a lease, you don't have the title. That's right. So you have to have a letter from the company giving you permission to go into the country for, I think, maybe up to nine months. Well, I didn't have that. So that was actually what they stopped me for the first time. They said, where's the letter from BMW? for you to come in before they even mentioned where's, where's the, um, where's the Ford Explorer. They said, you, they're looking at all my stuff and, and seeing that I have all the documents to enter the country with it. I didn't have that letter. So I went to a little hotel in a tiny little dusty town asked to use the computer and I just forged a letter. I knew what they wanted. They wanted the VIN number and this and that, blah, 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 blah. And I found a BMW logo and I made up some guy's name. And of course, it's just some Mexican aduana who has no idea. It looked official enough to him. So when I come back, I'm, I'm thinking I'm golden, right? Here's everything to get my BMW in. They have all those documents. They accept them. And then they go, where's the Ford Explorer? And that's what took me on that. So that was not something I could easily get out of, right? But anyway, we did through another passport, a passport card. I was able to get the BMW. And so we are now driving in and, um, and, and we're good. I would like to back up though, because the very first time I came to the country with my Ford Explorer, remember how I said for the first six months we came, I didn't have it. I went home, we flew home for Christmas and then came back down. I hadn't investigated. So when I was bringing the car in for the very first time, I didn't know you had to have a permission. So I just drove in and see in America, when you're supposed to do things, Americans stop you 
They stop you and say, we need this from you. We need that. You have to do this. In Mexico, no, they don't. You drive through the border, no one stops you. No one even says, here, stop here to get your visa. Stop here to get your your vehicle permission. No, they don't. So I drove in the first time and it was on New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, 2010 going into 2011. And just like in the U.S., once you get 50 kilometers or 25 miles into the border, there is a border patrol, a checkpoint. So they have that in Mexico, too. So I drove 25 miles, 50 kilometers into Mexico, and I'm stopped. And they said, where's your vehicle permission? And I'm like, what? They could have actually processed it there for me right there, but they didn't. They sent me all the way back to the border. Oh, no. So I went all the way back to the border and it is not easy to find that place. I I don't read the signs. Um, it's just not right there at the border for you. It was, I drove around and around and around and finally found it. Finally, I have my permission and I go back. So the time we're really late, right? And I following the rules in Mexico is you should not be on the roads late at night. You need to stay on, you need to stay on toll roads and all that kind of stuff. Well, we were going to be staying in Aguas Calientes um, at a really nice um, uh, Quinta Real Hotel. It's a chain, but they're very, very nice. And I find myself at midnight with my babies that are two and four. So this is the first time we entered, and I know I'm mixing up the chronological order. But at midnight on New Year's Eve, and we're driving through the streets, and I'm trying to get there, and I'm definitely not on a toll road. And there are fires everywhere. Everyone outside in the street has built a little bonfire, like a small little fire, right? I didn't know they did that. I'd never been here for Christmas or New Year's before. So I see all these fires on the road, driving driving through these towns. I didn't have GPS then. I don't know how I got there. Honestly, this wasn't in my BMW. It was a Ford Explorer 10-year-old car. I I don't know how I got there. Seriously. (laughs) We got there at like midnight, one in the morning at this hotel. And I just put the girls in bed and from there on, we, we got to Michoacan fine, but um, not investigating, bringing a car in and where you need to go ahead of time. And then, of course, when you leave, all of that, I learned the hard way. And now, um, hopefully, that will help someone. <laughs> because it is important when you enter, there's lots of different border crossings, right? You know, you can enter through Los Nogales or Laredo, or there's a lot of different ones. Those are the ones in Texas, and they have them all along the border. You do need to find ahead of time, you know, where you need to stop to get your, your tourist visas. Yeah. Um, you get those automatically when you fly. But sure. if you're driving across, you need to stop and pay for your tourist visas. Mm -hmm. And then you have to get your permission for your car. And if you follow those rules, you're really okay. Really. So did you ever um, have to get rid of the the permission from the Explorer or it it was fine with just on the passport card? Did you ever have to do anything Um, like that? So my current passport has been replaced and it has a new number. Okay. So So, no, because I never really figured out how to get that off there. (laughs) Right. Interesting. Um, So I think because I have a new passport, I don't have a car on that. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, at this point, if I was going to advise someone, I, I would probably say the best thing is to find an international shipper 
and use an importer and they use an importer, find an international shipper to take all of your stuff to fly into the country and then buy a car locally. Yeah. Because um, if you have a car from the U S to, to permit yourself from having to go back every six months to the border and getting that permission renewed um, while you're on a tourist visa, you can spend about three thirty five hundred four thousand dollars to nationalize your U.S. car. So, um, yeah, I would just recommend buying local. I wouldn't recommend buying used local because Mexicans don't maintain their cars. Mm-hmm. So I've bought a used car and regret it greatly. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's that's about getting through the border with little babies. Yeah. We'll be back in a moment. Isla Mujeres is a Caribbean jewel off the coast of Cancun. Castellito del Caribe warmly invites you to enjoy our spectacular oceanfront villa located in the heart of El Centro and a short walk to Playa Norte, which is ranked one of the top 10 beaches in the world. With an ocean view of crystal clear turquoise waters overlooking both the Caribbean and Cancun city skyline, we offer a fabulous location for you to enjoy all the peace and tranquility you're looking for on vacation, while also taking in all the excitement the island has to offer, with activities either in walking distance or a golf cart day excursion away. Please visit castellitocaribe.com www.castellitocaribe.com We look forward to seeing you soon. Integrity Vacation Property Management Trust, Truth, Results From buyer's representative services to rental market analysis, staging, marketing, and full-service property management, achieving your goals is our top priority. Visit our website at www.integrityvpm.com and get our free guide, Self-Manage or Hire, a property owner's checklist of issues to consider. Contact us for a free consultation to see if we can help you maximize the return on your investments. Integrity VPM, raising the bar in vacation property management. Welcome back to the Overseas Life Redesign Podcast. Thank you so much for being here, and we invite you to subscribe if you like what you hear. When we met, um, golly, I guess it was about two and a half years ago, I know you were um, thrilled with your decision about living yeah. in Mexico and the experience of your girls. You want to you talk about that a little bit? Oh, yeah, for sure. So I think one of the great things about being a single mom, if you can have a remote job working remotely from Mexico, it's kind of a no brainer because the life that I can provide my daughters here, we truly live like we're millionaires in the U S meaning if I was in the U S even with, you know, a job making a hundred thousand or more a year, I can have a nice car and we can live in a nice place, but I don't have enough money to put my daughters in like private schools. I don't have enough money to take two, three, four vacations a year. I don't have, um, I mean, every, I'm still living paycheck to paycheck, right? But here in Mexico, our life is so amazing. Uh, we live in, and we also live in Michoacan, right? So Michoacan is one of the poorest states, but it's beautiful. The climate here is gorgeous. Where we live in Michoacan, um, it's actually 74 degrees year round. So it's like living in Southern California, but at like a tenth of the cost. Right. So the, the climate here is amazing. We're about 7,000 feet above sea level. So we're higher than Denver. Um, but we've got 
mountains and trees and lakes and volcanoes and just a very mild climate. And we love that. That's probably the principal thing. The second thing is honestly, everyone always says, well, do you feel safe? What is the safety like? For me, I feel very, very safe here. I actually feel safer here than I do in the U.S. So remember when we moved back to the U.S. after we had lived in Mexico for a year? Mm-hmm. Our very first night, where I, we have a new suburbs in Franklin, Tennessee. All the homes are $400,000 homes and we're renting. We get there our very first night. Everything's in boxes. And I take the rolls to have dinner and we come back and our home has been broken into. No. And the only thing they took were our two little baby green turtles that we had worked so hard to bring back from Mexico. Yeah, I think it was some neighborhood kids that broke in and just took the turtles. But like nothing like that happened in Mexico, right? And and honestly, the children run around here like it used to be 50 years ago in the U.S. And, and I've just been so afraid with just all the child abductions in the U.S. I would never let my two and four-year-old play out in the yard right. by themselves in the U.S. Never, ever. I don't know any parents that would let their children play in a front yard by themselves anymore. Right. Um, even at five and six years old, it's just the child abductions are just horrible. I don't feel that here. Now I don't let, I wouldn't let my two and four year old run around, you know, on the streets here in our colonia, but honestly, there are children that do that. (laughs) Right. And, and, and they're fine. Now we've lived in a place where we had a big yard and stuff like that. I didn't have to worry about it, but I just haven't, um, my girls, now that they're older, they walk from our neighborhood into downtown Pazcuaro during the day. And, um, and they take taxis by themselves too, which I, I just, uh, you know, I feel very safe with, with them here. So, well, they're now 12 and 14. Okay. And my third daughter is Cammie and she's about to turn three. Okay. So, um, so I, I love the fact that living from here. So this is actually our setup. My rent is probably around, um, $300 a month. We have a four bedroom home. Um, now at this point, I've been able to recover in the 10 years since I lost everything or eight years since 2012 and didn't bring any furniture here. So we have fully furnished home, um, with custom made furniture. You just um, show a picture from Pinterest of the piece you like, and you show your carpenter and they make it for pennies on the dollar. Right. right. It's amazing. And, um, I have, four full-time employees. I have um, kind of like my right hand that runs everything because I do travel for my job and personally. So she does all the menu planning and grocery shopping and she does all the cooking and laundry and ironing. And then I have someone, she works five days a week, eight to four. And then I have a full-time nanny because I have a baby, right? So I've had a nanny who's um, eight to five Monday through Friday because of my toddler. And then I have someone who actually cleans my house seven days a week, seven days a week. She's part-time, but I treat her like a full-time employee. Um, But she cleans the house top to bottom because the homes here are not like American homes. So there's a lot of outdoor spaces and and the interiors get very dusty and dirty and, and like, Plus, it's only 60 bucks a week to have her clean every day, right? Right. And she's actually really well paid. So um, so I have that. And then I, I have 10,000 square meters. So I have about two and a half acres of yard. So I have a full-time 
Gardner. And then he's actually this, the um, young adult son of Clementina, my right hand, and very responsible. So he does all the gardening and he's kind of my house husband. So yeah. everything that breaks in the house, sure. you know, it's like my honeydew list, right? Everything that breaks that needs to get fixed. He deals when, when there are car issues, he takes it to the mechanic, just anything I need. Because honestly, I have not that my job's so important, but it's an intense job. And I work very much eight to six and seven sometimes uh, that sometimes because I'm going live with the weekends, I've got to work weekends or nights. And so I've got a pretty intense job, right? right? And I don't have time to do anything domestic. So when I do stop working, I don't have to worry about, oh my gosh, the grocery shopping or the cleaning yeah. or the laundry or whatever. I can just spend time with my children. And so that is such a gift because yes. moms in the U.S., oh my gosh, moms in the U.S., even those that are very well paid are doing everything. They might have someone clean once a week, yeah. most twice a week, some just once a month. And they're trying to prepare the meals and shopping and laundry and yeah, everything moms are trying to do to hold together their families and homework with the kids and work their full-time job and their commute. The stress of moms in the U.S. is insane. It's, it's just off the charts. And I have been able to reduce my stress so much. Plus, I'm not living paycheck to paycheck. My daughters can go to private school. We can take three to four vacations a year. Um, I've got all of this domestic help that is just a lifesaver for me. So my quality of life and living here is so much better than living in the U.S., especially for a single mom. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, that's quite an inspiration. I think you're you're going to get a lot of uh, folks interested in that. So I guess one of the questions I have for you is might be on the minds of single moms contemplating something like this. Is what about your social life? Have you made friends in the the uh, community at all? So in Pascuaro, there's only about 300 expats right, from the U.S. and Canada and maybe a few Europeans. So there's not many, and they're all retired. So I don't have many American friends here. Now, I would say that that was a blessing for me because I was able to immerse myself in a town where no one speaks English. You have to learn Spanish. And I remember within three weeks, I could communicate with a taxi driver and tell them where I needed to go and what I needed to do. And because you learn from the Spanish speakers, like for instance, you learn the whole vocabulary of a house from your domestic, from your maid or your cook. You know, she holds up a fork and says, tenedor, right? That's how you learn. She looks at your sheets and says, these are sabanas, yeah. right? So it's so practical and easy to learn. Plus you're listening to them. So you're learning from natives. I'm fully fluent in Spanish now. And my girls don't necessarily think my Spanish is that great, <laughs> but everyone else thinks my Spanish is amazing because I've learned it from the locals here. And so I highly recommend, I've never taken a class ever. I didn't learn by Duolingo or anything else. I truly learned from immersion. And um, now after the first year, still probably wasn't very good. But I do feel like that second year when we went back to the U.S. that kind of marinated. Yeah. And when I came back, I felt like I started learning a lot faster. 
So you learn the different vocabulary from the different people in your life, right? You're talking to a doctor, you've got that vocabulary. If you're talking to teachers, none of the teachers in this town speak English. Mm. So trying to communicate about my girl's school and what's going on, honestly, that's where my first friends came from. Okay. Mexican mothers from my children's school. Okay. And some of them spoke some English because my girls went to private school. So there was an education level higher of the parents and they did have some English. So that helped. There's also one or two servers in town at the restaurants that knew English who had lived in the U.S. before. So I depended on them a lot my first year. So you find some people that could speak a little English to help you, but really learning Spanish came a lot faster because I didn't live in a tourist town. Yeah. Right. If you, if you live in Puerto Vallarta, my sister still, she's lived there four years now in the U S and she still, her Spanish is not good at all because she has so many people to speak English to English. Yeah. Yep. So here, honestly, the, the retired community that's here of gringos, my, my interaction with them is really online. So we have a community forum for Pascuaro and Morelia that is really to help people, a lot of people who want to come move down to this area. So there's lots of practical advice that you can get. And so we interact online. Um, they are active in the cultural community here. And so I know that there's like a monthly monthly cocktail party. This is all before COVID, but a monthly cocktail party at the cultural events, whether it's the piano festival or different art events at the museum. I think there's a, there's a ladies lunch every Tuesday. The the gentlemen have that too, where they meet. So there's definitely um, availability to meet in person with gringos, probably in any city you live in, in Mexico, mm-hmm. but I just didn't choose to, because we didn't really have anything in common. Um, and their just worldview of things is very different than mine. Plus I've got little kids and I moved here when I was, when I was 40. Right. And, and they're all 65 and above. So I haven't really had much in common with them. So again, my message would be, if you do have children, then it's probably your friends are going to come from, from their classmates, parents, parents. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you, I guess the question is, are you satisfied with that? I mean, is it something that you feel is missing or you don't mind it? Um, not having a larger social circle? Well, I'm fine, but I mean, but that's me because, because I'm working so much and my children have children have other people to take care of them. I really enjoy being with my children in the evenings to be with them. And so I don't really, I'm not that social like I was in my thirties before I had kids, very social. I can still go out and have coffee or beer or drink with a friend if I wanted Um, but now, you know, I started several years ago, alternating Friday nights and I take one daughter out one Friday night and the next Friday night, I take the other one out just to get some one-on-one time with mom. And so we do that every Friday night. I also, now that they're older, I like traveling on the weekends with the girls. Okay. And so we like, especially our first year here, we used to take weekend excursions all the time to get to know our state. But just a few weeks ago, I took Claire to Mexico City for a three-day weekend. Um, I'll take one just it's kind of how I spend my money, honestly. I like finding boutique hotels. Uh-huh. And 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 we'll go stay at a favorite hotel and be pampered for the weekend. And I'll take one of the girls or both of them. Uh-huh. And for instance, last weekend, Cammy's now almost three and super well behaved. So she got her first weekend with mom in Morelia uh-huh. last weekend, which was awesome. So I mean, I guess 
I really like spending time with my girls. And, and because we're such a connected society now with technology, I still have those conversations with my girlfriends in the U S um, online, you know, social media. I'm, you know, I use that a lot, probably if I wasn't so connected on social media that I might, you know, miss that with my girlfriends, but I do take the time to schedule time because now phone calls are so difficult to schedule, right? And just get on the phone with a girlfriend and talk for an hour. So I make sure that I do that, okay. but I don't miss it locally. Okay. But, but some people could be more social, right? I'm not sure. saying Pazquatos for everyone, right? No, but, but you could, it, it, you know, you made the choice of where you are because of family and, and, right. you know, for, for certain reasons, but um, I guess the point is, if someone really wanted that, there are, are opportunities if you're not yeah. work, work so much. I just want to say almost every American community or expat community in Mexico, they almost all have Facebook pages where you and, and there's lots of social things that you can do and you can participate as much as you want or as little as you want. Right. So I, I think there's lots of opportunity no matter where you go in Mexico for, you know, social opportunity. Well, yeah. And then, you know, the Mexicans are so social. There's always, sure. always festivals, right? There's always holidays right. and, you know, baptism like- <laughs> parties, weddings. Yes. Yeah. So, yep. and they're usually very inclusive. Um, very you know, much they, so. they just, you know, love to, to drag you along and yeah, yep. exactly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yep. It's a very welcoming culture, but mm-hmm. I just love, um, I love what you said about, um, being able to really spend that quality time with your kids because, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you know, um, back in the States, I mean, it's like the, the kid's best friend is their devices. Right. And, right. and so they don't really have that, um, connection with their parents, um, so much. And especially single parents, like you say, that are so busy yeah. trying to yeah. do all of these things that, that, you yeah. know, they, they want to do or, or feel they need to do. And for you to have the luxury of, you know, mm-hmm. having a staff basically to yep. help and also money left over to, to do, you know, date nights with your girls and yeah. you know, weekend uh, getaways and stuff. I just think that's fabulous. Yep. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's an amazing quality of life. It's such a gift and it is a luxury. And that's why I feel like I live like a millionaire because, yeah. um, but it's because I think I really think all parents wish they had more time to spend with their children. Yeah. And I think, but when you finish with dinner and now you've got to go do laundry and now you've got to go do this or that. And you, you know, kids are left by themselves to either watch television or be on their devices. But I think children, parents would love to just sit down and talk to their kids for an hour. Right. Yeah. And just spend that quality time. And, and we get that, right? Whether we're watching, we're doing movie night together or we're doing game night or we're just sitting and talking or whatever. It's, it's just that quality time that is invaluable. That is so special to me. And you never get it back. You know, that's the thing you go, yep. Oh gosh, you know, well, later, later, later. Right. And, yep. and then it's pretty soon they're gone and off to college and, um, goes on but um. and you know I just want to say as bad co- as as COVID has been and the quarantine and the lockdowns and all of this and and I think it's actually extremely damaging to our global society I'm not supportive of it at all but there have been some good things that have come out of this and the best thing for someone like me who is always looking for a remote job 
is that people have had to put their workforce at home to work. And now they realize that just because they're out of sight doesn't mean they're not working. Yeah. Right. Now working remotely from home is not for everyone. Some people have to have that office social interaction and that's fine. But if you would like to work from home and you have a job that would allow you to do that, now it is a much better opportunity. It's a little bit complicated when you want to say you want to work in Mexico yeah. because sometimes they're like, well, what about the laptop? Right? So um, I think if you currently have a job and you think that working remotely, you've been doing it through COVID and you think that your company might be open to letting you do it long-term, I think just um, having that conversation that I've been thinking about moving to Mexico. And of course, if you already had your work equipment and, and brought it into the country, and I actually, in Mexico, the internet, a lot of people are like, what about the internet security and all of that kind of stuff? And they really think we are in the dark ages here. But right. even the, as small as our town is, I have fiber optic and they have three different packages. And our internet, I had to bump it up, right? I pay about $100 a month now because I've got two girls doing Zooms for school yes. and I'm doing online work, right? And video conferences. So I had to really bump up our package, you know, my highest expenses because, oh, here's the other thing where we live because it's so mild and we we're never running air conditioning. We don't even have it, air conditioning or central heat. So my electricity bill for two months is 300 pesos. Wow. That is $15. $15. Yeah. $15 for two months of electricity. Now we also have natural gas, right? Natural gas runs your stoves as well as your water heaters. And so I would say that's probably about $40 a month okay. for us. But other than that, so I've got, you know, 300 for, for rent and, and I don't rent from Americans, Americans, the rent is a lot higher, still much less than in the U S but a, a furnished home, three bedroom home in our town from an American is going to run you, you know, five, six, five or 600 us. Yeah. Five or 600 us. Right. Um, so, but still my, my, my rent is 300. Um, my food for our family is 2,500 pesos. So what is that? Uh, $125 a week. Mm-hmm. And then um, let me just tell you real quick for my four full-time staff. I want to tell you how much that is because people might be wondering, gosh, how much does that, how much does that cost? But that is $278 a week. For four, okay. for four people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And they are very well paid. Like, one and a half times, two times other people's positions. So they're very well paid and that's 278 a week for me. So, um, yeah, 15, every two, $15 every two weeks for electricity and like 40 a month yeah, and for I gas know. and that's it. You know, yeah, you're talking so it's, it's a dollars a month or less, right? Yeah. Everything. We, we have lived here. We, I, there have been times for about a year and a half where I was working um, only part-time. And, um, and so it was a little rough going, but I was making only $1,500, um, a month, $1,500 a month. I only had one full-time person, but both girls were in private school still. Yeah. And I could live here on 1500 a month. Yeah. 
Wow. Not, not much extra, but weren't a lot of trips to Costco, but you can survive here for sure. And then, you know, my, my first year and a half, remember when we first came, because I was um, not when we first came, but the second time I was on unemployment for 18 months and living on 300 a week, I was able to do that. Yeah. So what is that? 1200. 1200. I lived on 1200 and maybe a little child support from their dad. So again, probably 1500, but the exchange rate wasn't half as good then. The yes. Exchange rate now is way better. So um, if you can find a way when you're young, you know, find a way um, to have a remote job. And then also if you do have children, I would have to say coming earlier is better. Four years old is perfect. Yes. Because my daughter, Anna, when we were first here, was fluent in two months. Not something she stood up at four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She stood up after two months being in school at four years old in kinder and had to give a presentation on butterflies. And she did it, did it in Spanish. Wow. Yeah. So I now my sister, years later, she came with a, he was 10 and her daughter was 16. The daughter who was 16 went to a good good high school, but no one spoke English. And they just said, learn Spanish. And she sat there for two months, didn't understand anything and said, I'm going back to the US, live with my dad. So that didn't work. And then the other school she put her 10 year old in was kind of a lot of kids spoke English. They had a good English program there. So everyone wanted to speak English with her son. He never learned Spanish. So, and she hated our town. I want to be, uh, when she decided she wanted to move to Mexico because she was she just saw how happy I was and how much she hated the U.S. Um, and I don't let me forget to talk about healthcare here. Yes. But um, she came down here and lived here for four months. And our town's a very provincial town, right? It's like 50, 60, 70 years ago. So the thinking is very provincial. Um, it's it's conservative. Um, parents don't let their kids spend the night or do play dates. Um, dads very much have to make the decisions. The mom will be like, yeah, I have to get permission for my husband. I'm like, what? Yeah. You know, it's, and, and the nearest Costco or Walmart is 45 minutes away in Moralia, the capital. So my sister hated that. Right. And while she was here, she met some gringos and, um, they had lived in Puerto Vallarta and that's the beach. And she investigated and four months she was out of here. Mm-hmm. And she loves living in Puerto Vallarta. Okay. And we actually work for the same company. When I got my new remote job, I um, they let me work here in Mexico, right, for a U.S. company. Oh, and the thing is, I can still get paid on a W-2. I just use a friend's address in Texas, a state that doesn't have state tax. That's is right. important. Yep. And you keep your U.S. bank account. Yep. And you have your paychecks to bo- deposited there. And now um, I have, now that I'm, a permanent resident, which I got through my children's being dual citizens, um, I can have a Mexican bank account. And I just easily every Friday, whenever I get my paycheck, I just do an interbank transfer, I have the money in, in five minutes, and then I'm paying everything in pesos, right, I can take out from the ATM. And so the the change of money, I get it, I get the benefit of the exchange rate. But it's very easy getting my funds from the US into Mexico, because obviously, that's a concern for people. Sure. And I, I did want to mention the healthcare piece. Yes, please. So healthcare is so expensive in the United States. And, you know, I was, I didn't 
research it at all. But when I came here, when my girls were two and four, I found a local pediatrician that they recommended. And of course, I'd had experience for four years in the US with Anna's pediatrician. And the evaluations were the same. The well baby visits were the same. If they came down sick with something, it was the exact same type of visit that I had in the US. But the cost was crazy different. So there's two different ways. You can get a private doctor like we had, and she charges now 500 pesos for a consult. That's $25. Yep. And then she gives you a receipt for, um, you know, your antibiotics. You buy your antibiotics. Max, you're going to pay 20 bucks. And you're out the door for $55. Okay. Right. Now, that is the high end. That's worst case. Most places in Mexico next to the pharmacy, they actually have doctors that work there. And those doctors... Um, charge maybe 25 pesos, 30 pesos, at least in my town, just like a dollar or two for the consult. And some don't even charge you if you buy the meds from their pharmacy, mm. right? So you can truly be super sick. I mean, sinus infections and need antibiotics and all that kind of stuff. And you're, you're out the door for like 15, 20 bucks. And so I, there's no need for insurance here for us. And also I've noticed that if you did have like a broken arm or something like that, that's like, and you needed a broken arm. Oh, we haven't had that, but it's like max, like a hundred dollars. Right. I mean, it's, it's not that much and you just pay it out of pocket. Right. Yeah. And even major surgery. I know the girl's grandmother, the first year we were here, had a tumor in her abdomen. It was benign, thank the Lord. But it was the size of her being like pregnant, like eight months. It was a huge benign tumor in her abdomen. And it cost $2,000 for them to cut her open and take it all out and sew her back up. And she didn't have any issue. $2,000. I mean, that's amazing for huge surgery, right? But here's the kicker. Here's the kicker with hospitals in Mexico. If you do have to have a hospitalization, you have to pay the bill in full before you leave. Yeah. It's not like healthcare in the U.S. where then they own you for the rest of your life as you're making payments, right? Paying off medical bills. So what people do here, because they often don't have $2,000. So the family, if like their grandma, um, the girl's grandma, all of her children just group together their money. Everyone contributes. The hard kids who are in the U.S. will send some money. They'll ask friends and family members, extended family members. Hey, we're trying to get together, you know, 40,000 pesos. Everyone contributes so they can help that person get out of out of jail, out of hospital. I'll tell you, Becca, um, our neighbor, a uh, few doors down, Jose in Virginia, just nicest people. He's a taxi driver. She actually was doing laundry for us for a while last year um, before I got a washer and dryer here at the house and mm-hmm. their son needed uh, some sort of abdominal surgery. And so he brought over the letter basically that said, this is how much it's going to cost. And, you know, was basically asking for money. And um, Mm -hmm. so we donated, you know, 2000 pesos, brought it over Mm -hmm. in an envelope and said, you know, Mm -hmm. here you go, this is for your son. Um, And yeah, that's, that's what they were doing. Um, Was just how you do it here, pooling their resources. And and it wasn't, I don't think it was, it wasn't a lot. I mean, I think it was like maybe 
like you say, you know, $4,000 for major, you know, in, mm-hmm. intestinal surgery. Um, I think right. they're having to take out part of his colon or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that would, that was it. It was, it was not, would have been a hundred thousand dollars in the U S oh, yeah. Add, you know? uh, yeah. Forget the pesos it, it, and just, yeah. Put, put a dollar sign next to it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's, but, but since we've been here, I mean, honestly, we've been here 10 years and, and we've never had it needed major medical or anything like that. You know, the girls have never needed anything. And so I just figure how much money I have saved not paying, you know, deductibles and not paying um, co-pays. The monthly premiums are just. Yeah. And coming out of your paycheck, what you have to for it. Yeah. I haven't had any of that. So that is another huge benefit. And I have felt that the quality of healthcare here is very good for what we've had. Now I don't have a special needs child. Right. I don't have where we're constantly going to the doctor or where I don't have a child going through cancer treatment or anything like that. Right. So, but if, if you're, you know, have a healthy family and you're healthy and um, there is medical insurance you can get here. That's probably pretty affordable. And I think I I was going to say, I do have a a policy and it is, it excludes the U S okay. Because they don't want to get involved with that system. Right. It's Mm -hmm. a global insurance company. Um, mm-hmm. It gives me 30 days coverage if I were to travel there and something were to happen. Mm-hmm. There's, mm-hmm. I pay $110 a month. Yeah, so worth it. Yeah, with like a, it's like mm-hmm. a $2,500 deductible, and it's half that if I use a network provider. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's, and that's what you use for Mexico. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. that's what I. And then Tom has Medicare, so we just have that as a backup. You know, if he you know, he would have to go back to the United States to use it. Mm-hmm. But if for something major, like right. you say, we're both healthy, we both mm-hmm. take care of ourselves, we are no prescription medication. Mm-hmm. So it works for us yeah. um, to, to be able to basically self insure instead of sending those premiums every month to mm-hmm. a big insurance company. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm going back now. Um, he retired in 2013. At that time, our COBRA payment for we kept the insurance he, he had, was $400 a month. When that ended, mm-hmm. it was right when the Affordable Care Act went into effect. Mm-hmm. And the cheapest policy I could find anywhere to cover us was $1,200 a month. Yep. I, I know. No. I That's what Americans are paying. They're paying so much in insurance premiums every month. It's it's crazy. And that's one of the things that really was a driving factor for my sister, how expensive healthcare was. And she really wanted to get out of that. That was a big driving factor for her leaving the US. Yeah. Plus, she was just so sick of the politics and how divided Americans are. And I think there's a lot of division in Mexico. We, you just don't sense it half as much as it is in the right. US. Right. So really, you have to make an effort to stay involved in American politics when you're looking in Mexico. You have to really want to. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you can just block it out. You don't well, have to watch. In Mexico, it's mm-hmm. the, most people aren't really too concerned about the politics. I mean, there's right. a few, but yep. I mean, the, the average person that you see, like that, that is so far mm-hmm. away from front of mind, right? It, it, yep. it doesn't. And I, I love that I feel, I feel I have more freedom in Mexico than I did in the U.S. I mean, when I lived, I did have to, for a job, live part-time in Mexico, excuse me, in the U.S. in Chicago in 2014. So I was there two weeks and here two weeks. Honestly, I had enough money to 
leave my children here, have them taken care of the two weeks I was there, plus take care of myself in Chicago, right? And um, I felt like I was living in just a, a communist state. I couldn't believe it. There were cameras everywhere. Every week I received tickets in the mail for $250 because I hadn't fully stopped to turn right on a right on red. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? It was awful. The tickets I had, I probably in in the uh, I probably paid two thousand a month oh my tickets God. or parking tickets because this transportation situation was just awful. Every time I'm in the U.S., I get speeding tickets or the littlest ticket for anything. And here in Mexico, please just seriously don't care. Right. I mean, there's no there's no speeding tickets. There's no cameras if you don't fully stop at a stop sign. There aren't even stop signs here. Right. We don't even have a single stop sign in our town. We have like two lights, right? right? So, I mean, it's a free-for-all, which kind of does bother you when people don't even get trained on how to drive a car here in our town. So you have to be very vigilant and careful because they just go. They don't even look before going. So, yeah. But I like the fact that the police just like stay out of our lives. The government stays out of our lives. I feel like I just am a responsible citizen and I don't have like big brother watching me. I, that's what I felt like in the U.S. It's awful. And that's don't you awful. feel good about like, I can't wait to get home to Mexico? <laughs> yeah. Like, let me eat at my favorite restaurants and do shopping while I'm in the U.S., but I'm ready to get home. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's funny. Well, gosh, this has just been such a delightful interview. I'm so glad we were able to connect. I know you're super busy and uh, I really appreciate you. Oh, no, it's it's great to get together. I, I hope I didn't ramble on too long. But. No, not at all. Really good stuff. I mean, um, you know, you've talked about some things that I really haven't covered before in particular. Oh, good. The car thing, um, big, big, big uh, lesson learned there. I think people can learn from. And also, um, like I said, I really haven't um, had a chance to chat with any single parents before. So I, I was one of the reasons I really wanted to talk with you. This episode of the Overseas Life Redesign podcast was brought to you by our sponsors. Thanks for tuning in. Did you love this episode of the Overseas Life Redesign podcast? Then please subscribe to our show and leave us a nice review. It's very much appreciated. We invite you to visit www.overseasliferedesign.com and take the Are You Ready for an Overseas Life Relocation Readiness Quiz. We'd also love for you to become part of our OLR community on Facebook. Thank you for listening.